Hello everybody, my name is Chris Gordon, I'm the Events Manager for Readings, but today I am very excited to have here for the Readings Podcast a first-time author, a debut author, Trent Dalton. Welcome. Well, thank you for having me, Chris. It's such an honour to be here and, you know, be a part of this amazing book history that is here in Melbourne through Readings, you know, it's such a, you know, everyone had told me about Maybe if I get to sort of see my book in, in a readings bookshop, it would be a pretty wild thing, and it's kind of coming true. So uh, thanks for having me. It's really oh, wild. listen, here at Readings, we're all about dreams coming true. We're, we're almost like a make-a-wish sort of foundation in that sense. That's what we're like. Trent, you are not uh, – this is this is certainly not your first rodeo. You've been writing for, for years and years and years. You yeah. are uh, – a two-time Walkley Award winner, you're a three-time Kennedy Award winner for excellence in New South Wales journalism, and you're a four-time winner of the National News Awards Features Journalist of the Year. You've been running your whole life. Yeah, well, that's that's really lovely you say that, Chris. Like, it's like, yeah, I, I do feel, you know, you know that, that saying, you know, that putting your 10,000 hours, like, I've, I've, I've probably done that and, and then some, like, but, but just in such a different kind of way in that, I love long-form journalism. I'm, I'm pretty confident I can take a story of a real-life human being. I could take pretty well a lot of... And almost anyone in Australia write a fairly good story of their life for a 4,000-word magazine story because... I've got, you write for The Weekend Australian. Write for The Weekend Australian. A big part of my whole sort of career has been built on writing the stories of ordinary people in hopefully extraordinary ways. That was like... That's my shtick, really. Like, I love ordinary suburban Australia. And um, it's amazing you mentioned all that stuff because all that, all that stuff. I was still, I was nervous as hell though about it. It's entering this world that you know so. Oh, well. the, the book world. The, the book world. Everyone's very kind in the book world, though. They're lovely. So I t- lovely. Oh man, you know, like I couldn't believe that the warmth, <laughs> like early on. Yeah. People like yourself, like you were beaming smile when I first met you, and all the people from readings, you know, like who just go for no reason. Do, do they have a clear reason to give a kid from bloody the boondocks of Brisbane a crack or let alone the time of day, they are so sweet. I feel like the whole industry wants, you know, an Australian writer to kind of just try and just get the most out of it, whatever the case, whatever people feel about it, just, just take that to the full extent of where it can go. And it, that's what I've been really blown away about so far, yeah. So I was really interested, Trent, that you were just talking about how you can take anybody's story and write 4,000 words on it and make it sort of extraordinary, in a way, that's what Boy Swallows Universe, which is we're here talking about today, in a sense, it seems to be a mismatch of all of that, that that you've got all these extraordinary characters and you've made them have some backstory, some, some forward story, you've linked them all together, writing this book... Did you just have bits and pieces all over the land? Oh, that's brilliant. Oh, for sure. For sure. And, and like, all through my... So, yeah, it took... I'm 39 now, and uh, it probably took 37 years. And looking years. good. Looking good. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. You made my day. Uh, uh, 37 years and then one year, you know, in the writing. But I've got, like, countless notepads, countless strips of paper lying around the house. Is that what you're like? Are you like Oh, a... total bowbird yeah. of ideas. Like, yeah. just always have a notepad on my bedside table always have a notepad in my in my back pocket well I use notes now on the old um, you know the, on the iPhone now but back in the day my, my the funniest story I once got robbed a bloke robbed my car when it was parked at, uh, at, at work once and he 
it dead set. I came back, the 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 the, win, the window. window sort of driver side window was smashed in, and my little sort of man bag was just this brown sort of. I bought it in Poland. This it carries all my notes and all these ideas, right? Complete. There was nothing of value in it except for little notes like, um, today I squashed a butterfly um, because it was being eaten alive by ants, and I feel really bad because I, I wanted to put the butterfly out of its misery. Uh, but I, in doing so, I killed 17 ants. So you imagine this robber, like, sifting through my bag and all he finds is stupid notes from my life. I wonder like, why he nicked your bag. I wonder if he was some sort of, you know, on some sort of ice rampage or something yeah. or other. And oh, then he's wow. a little bit off his style and he's reading it's just, your notes. He's just reading these profundities. <laughs> oh, that's right. The ants, the ants. He was but, um, but, like, you're so right about, like, what I did for the book was yeah. take all, what I do for a living, and sometimes I lose sleep. Between you and me, Chris, like, I lose sleep at night with what I do for a living sometimes because it's it's a very deep trust exercise to go into someone's living room and they, they tell you their life story and then it's our job to kind of put that out to the public. Yeah. And so that's a really, if you get that wrong sometimes, yeah. and that and it has happened to me, like, people have called me back and said, nah. I feel worse now from this. That is a terrible feeling. That's a terrible feeling and it makes you get better at it. I promise you that. But um, the, the trade-off of that, I made a promise to myself that if I ever came to telling my own ordinary, ordinary, hopefully turning into extraordinary story, ordinary person, I'm just, you know, another person out in the burbs of Australia, but I damn well will just throw every last secret in there that I've got, you know, and it's like sort of I'll, I'll give back and I'll just give 110%. And so... And then to even do that even better in an entertaining way, you're exactly right. I give them forward stories as well yeah. as backstories, and give do. give all these people in my life. The most interesting people in my life happen to be the people directly outside my bedroom door. So, I, so yeah, I had to write that story, but I had to turn them into narrative creatures that sort of had, as you so brilliantly say, that's so true. I just turned it all into. I took all this these curses from my past that you might call them, <laughs> and tried to turn it into something beautiful by giving them forward stories and all that yeah taking it to an, a place that i wanted to kind of uh, almost give it a better ending maybe you know yeah yeah i thought it was quite extraordinary i was very impressed with the way that you had almost a sense of magical realism about these stories that i know are true yeah. that i know yeah. i know the essence of them are true yeah yeah so yeah. i wanted a couple of things i wondered yeah. what what books sort of influenced you to be able to write in this kind of magical realistic oh sort of yeah way? yeah are you like yeah. a hundred years of solitude type of man yeah yeah or? yeah i i do like you know I, I i don't know where magical realism is at in the industry these days how do you feel about it are you sort I of over like, it or are you no, like I'm, I'm all in yeah well i i actually genuinely love it right yeah. I, I find it just really I just find it beautiful, and I, I love I like I like particular ways David Malouf, a great a great Brisbane writer, writes about Brisbane. Sometimes he'll throw in some amazing stuff that you go, "Wow, he's turned boring old Brisbane." He sees Brisbane the way I see Brisbane. I actually find Brisbane deeply fascinating, but he'll throw it in. But it's it's sort of like it's got real sort of stuff. But there's just these moments he'll throw in. You just go, "Oh wow, that's magic! That is magic." He's touch, touching on there. But you did a bit of that. I thought I thought you did, you know, with your beautiful sort of. Uh, passages on the, about the moon and looking at the oh, moon thank you, and, and thank the stars. You. I just yeah. thought, oh, it's so evocative. Yeah. It's so impressive that this is the type of writing that you are doing when I know that your main work oh, has been journalism. You, wow. And this is taking it one step further. Yeah. So it's, Look, 
people I'll, like David Malouf that have been for sure. And I was reading, on, you know, I think the book I read before this was Steve Toltz's Fraction of the Whole. Oh, so if that oh, shows, yeah. it probably might be in there. Um, the thing about that magic realism stuff, though, I made a promise to myself, Chris. I said, um, if it, if I do go down that road of some magic in there, I want to have it couched in reality. So, yeah, so the reality of this book, it really does stem with the fact that I was raised for a time in a brief and profound period of time by like a really significant, um, very significant Brisbane drug dealer. He was a heroin dealer in the 1980s and I loved him. I loved him dearly. He was the guy who happened to, my mum happened to fall in love with the wrong guy. And what happens when that guy happens to, um, you know, basically that guy got put away in prison for 10 years and he vanished from my life. But in that house we grew up in for that brief period, there were magic stuff. Like, you would go... I, I have memories of going to my dressing gown, pulling my dressing gown out, and there was a roll, a thick roll of $100 notes in my dressing gown pocket and taking it up to my mum and going, Mum, why do I have a thick roll of $100 notes? And it's because, you know, this, this is what happens. Crazy things happen when you're sort of in that world. And, you know, the big, a big hook in the book is this kid, Eli Bell... He finds a secret room in his house, him and his beautiful older brother, who's basically an amalgam of my three older brothers in real life, and they find a secret room, and inside this secret room is a secret red telephone. At the end of that line is a very mysterious figure, and that figure propels the the narrative. And all I'm doing there is relaying the wonder that I have inside of me from being about five years old and following my brothers into an indeed a very real secret room that was inside this house in suburban western Queensland uh, western south so east what, Queensland what like a, is it like the sunroom or something in the house so so basically my brother taps me on the shoulder one day and uh, and I'll follow my older brothers anywhere because they're my heroes and they tap me and they go Trent you know come have a look at this <laughs> And we're like three oh, boys. Good. We're boys like aged, like, you know, from that period, I was five, my brothers and my eldest brother, Joel, gets to about, he was probably 12. So it's like there's that spectrum yeah. of brothers. So we're, it's that boys' adventure stuff. We're up for it, mate. We'll yeah, go you're, there. you're still warriors. Totally. We're just like, man, we're going we're gonna to go on this journey. And so I'm following these boys. Uh, my eldest, two older brothers, they, they, they go into this room. There's a, it's, I believe it is the main bedroom. So it's this bloke's that my mum loved his bedroom. We slide open a glass sliding door. This is me recounting this memory yeah. from about the mid-80s. We slide open the glass sliding door. Uh, my brother gets down on his knees, pushes over some clothes, puts his hand at the back of the, uh, the internal wardrobe, and a compression mechanism pops back, and a, a, a piece of white wood, which is just the back wall, pops out, which is the size of, like, a chessboard, pops out, and it's enough for him to crawl into a dark chasm. And inside that room, this is like... I mean, this is just fact. This is fact. And uh, he slips in. And he's standing there, and, and we're looking down through this hole, like, what are you doing? <laughs> and he's like, look at this. And it's like a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a secret room built down into the ground, um, made out of bricks, and there's nothing in that room but a red telephone. And um, so you imagine that as a kid. You've got that. Oh, you're you know loving I mean? that. That's, that's, you're that's, loving that's it. The line. You're loving it. You know? Exactly. That's, that's all of it. It taps into wonder and magic. Like, yeah. that's magic, but that's real magic. Like, that's magic I experienced. And I thought, you know, one day if I was to ever write it, that would be in there. And all I've done is tried to explain. I never got to find out, Chris. I never, I never found out. I'm one of those kids who was born of the age of I'll tell you when you're older, you know, but yeah. my old man died. He knew a lot of the, he, he knew a lot of the I'll tell you when you're older stuff. He never told me and like, and sort of, you know, so it's me 
writing in this book about who who was on the end of that red telephone line. You know, it's that that's what the kids trying to work out. And, but and you know, there's all sorts of other really deeper questions the kids trying to ask. Namely, how do I be a good man? And that that's sort of what the, the book really addresses for 470 pages. I really like the uh, the different sort of characters in it. And one of the questions that your book, The Boy Swallows the Universe, raises is that whether or not you can take good wisdom or good advice yeah. from, from people that have broken the law. Can oh, you learn yeah, yeah. about life from these people? That, can you learn about good and can you learn about bad? You answer that question in this book, I think. You're giving me chills, Chris. Yeah, because that's sort of what it's about. I'm so glad yeah. you take... Like, if, if anyone could read that, like, I love, you know, and I'm, it's sort of going out in the world now, this thing, and people are coming back to me and going, look, you've actually... It's one woman who's a really conservative woman who wouldn't normally even read something like this, you know, I think. And she said, look, you made me a believer. I didn't think people who were inherently bad had anything to offer this world, Um, you know. And and I just thought, that's really interesting. It's like, you know, so one of these figures that was coming back and forth, there were a lot of interesting characters when I was a kid coming back and forth to this house. There's a lot of interesting characters in this book. A lot of interesting (laughs) characters in the book. One of them was very real to me, and that's a bloke named Arthur Slim Halliday, right? Yeah. He's a key. He's the Obi Wan figure, basically, in the book, and he um he he was a real guy. And my brothers and I loved this guy, right? When we were kids. Only later in life, as a journo, did I find out that Slim was real. Was oh, it? real? Like he's, he's Slim's real. Slim's a yeah. real guy, and he's part of my life. And um, you find out as a journo later that ah. Oh, that's the sl- the same Arthur Slim Halliday who was a convicted killer, famous in Queensland for being the taxi driver killer who killed a, a taxi driver in cold blood in 1952. Mind you, a lot of people to this day, and people have written books about this, this guy's potential innocence. Slim maintained his own innocence for a long time. He was famous Slim in the 1940s for being known as the Houdini of Boggo Road. So this guy I'm growing up with, you know, all these guys are in my world. So... He was famous for because he escaped the inescapable Boggo Road prison. He got put in holes. Like, I mean, it's the stuff of Hollywood bloody gangster movies. Like, this guy got thrown in a hole for 14 days with nothing but bread and water in the high summer of Queensland summer in December. That's disgusting. So what do you learn? Okay, what can a kid learn from a guy like that? Who, resilience. Who, <laughs> resilience, Chris. That's exactly right. Like, and you come, you come out of a conversation with that, a guy like that, even as a boy, right? He can offer wisdoms to us boys as we're going along this rocky road. And we're probably seeing things we shouldn't be seeing. But but I know for a fact that Slim gave a lot of his wisdoms to people like my mum in her darkest hours. Yeah. So does she not take those wisdoms from that mm-hmm. guy that could potentially kind of save her in her darkest hour if they're from a guy? But you imagine the things he learned about himself and about life yeah. spending 30 years in a bloody concrete yeah. cell, you know, like... There's a lot to be gained about life. And he was a man who read a lot and he went deep. And a lot of the book, a lot of that stuff about universe and the kid's a dreamer, Eli Bell, that's all a lot of it's from Slim. That's Slim talking about time and and existence and how you can stretch a moment to infinity or you can shorten it, you can abbreviate it. And, you know, it's all this wondrous stuff. That all comes from Slim because he learned how to manage time inside that cell. So if you're outside among the gardens... Make that day stretch for as long as you can. But if you're inside in the darkness, hurry it up and get busy. So, yeah, it's just, just all really interesting stuff. So even so now, all those things that that guy, do I not take them on board? Because, you know, it's, no. it's a really interesting thing. And some people wouldn't. Some people flat out wouldn't give the time of day to... It's something I've incorporated in my journalism life as well. I'm, 
So would you describe yourself as a kind person? Because it seems to me that's wow. one of the things that you are doing. You're trying to find the kindness in all of your characters. Oh, wow. Is that, is that something? Would you describe yourself like that? That's a really deep question. Oh. And I said, no, it's, a really, it's really good because it taps into things I think about, you know, about my old man and stuff. Like, I think I was always looking at the, the, the positive side of him yeah. and I'd defend him to the death and I still do to this day, but people don't know why because... You know, he had a lot of flaws as a, as a dad, but my brothers and I would still say he's the he's the man we love most in our lives. You know, so it's sort of like, so is that me just being? Yeah, I don't know. Did I get that in? I got. I do. I do absolutely find the inherent kindness in other people. So maybe I'm trying yeah, to stay kind right. myself. Yeah. But like, it's really weird. Yeah, and some people sort of say maybe even in journalism, people say I'm probably being too soft on a subject or, you know, getting. Someone told me the most amazing thing. I was at this thing. She said. Um, she came up to me after I was talking about this book and she said, you are one of those people who live up to that saying. And I've never heard this saying. Have you ever heard this? It's, the saying is, um, it's, hard to, it's hard to hate someone up close. So come closer, yeah. you know, get yeah. closer. And it's yeah. like, wow, like that's, I think that's what I've been doing for 20 yeah. years. Like, yeah. it's like, I do find it hard. When I do spend time with someone, I'm, I mean, I'm talking, I sat down for six hours with a child pornographer once and... I know, I know that's as sick as it gets, right? And it actually messed with my head and it was really quite a disturbing kind of thing. But I understood him at least by the end of that. You know, I, I mean, I will never, I didn't ever write anything vaguely in the point of justifying his actions. No. But, but he's still a person. And it, was, it was that idea of working out that it's like you get up close and you just go a little bit closer and you go, God damn, you just end up feeling sadness. You just feel nothing but tragedy. You know what I mean? And you just go, God. The human condition. The human condition and what we can do to ourselves and and what we can do to others. And yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. That, that whole thing, get up closer. It's like a really, really good lesson. I think anything, you know, that's just could apply to the whole bloody, this amazing country of ours. Of course. So, you know, there's this other saying that I hear quite often in the the sort of the book field where it says, uh, in the end, there's only two stories in the world. Yeah. In the end, there's only two. Yeah. And uh, it's either about coming home or it's about leaving home. Oh, wow. Oh, stop it. What Bo- wow. Boy follows universe. Which, which one? Oh, far out, man. Stop it. You're getting me like I'm getting to... Listeners, I'm tearing up here. That's... Wow. That's wild. What a question. Um, yeah, I think I... Yeah, I think I came home to leave yeah. home. You know, it's like... Yeah, right. So I started this about a... Like, it took a year to write, and I went home. Because yeah. there was stuff there I hadn't addressed. I really do think. Yeah. And I don't even know you why... I did, I didn't even know why I was doing it. And I, now I think... It's like I was just sort of telling you before we even started this. It's like I feel at ease now with this whole thing now. Whereas I was deeply uncomfortable to the point where it messed up my sleep. And yeah. weird stuff were happening surrounding this. And I don't know whether it was the purge that it sort of was, was involved in that. But... I think I'm genuinely now at the point of leaving home. It's like it's like it's like I can leave those rocks behind that I've yeah. carried around in my backpack for this resolution. Do you oh think? man, for like twenty years because I've seen what it's done. My 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 own mom and my own bros who are the people who are so deeply entrenched in my heroes and they're the heroes in this book. They're on this sort of journey with me, and we've all just we've all been really proud of it, and we've all you know what I mean. So some way, and then and then someone will call you up and they'll go. Oh, that guy. And he's basically 
talking about a guy named Robert Bell in the book, but he's basically my old man. And someone says, I love that Robert Bell. Mm. He went up and down his life. He gets up a little bit, and then he falls back down. I'm going, mate, stop it. You're making me <laughs> bloody tear up because you're talking about my old man there. And it's sort of like that's deeply sort of rewarding and kind of helps you It helps you leave home. You know, yeah. it's like I'm, I really, yeah, I really, it's a, such a great question because, like, I did. I went back home, and, like, that wasn't a good place to be in, which is partly why I... I saw it through the eyes of a, a kid named Eli Bell and not a bloke named a thirty-nine-year-old bloke named Trent. Oh, I think you needed a, that, didn't you? You needed totally. to have that that younger kind of perspective. Totally, totally. Because if it was just an act of journalism, a memoir, you know, it just I would have it would have been horrible. Like just to sort of go back and be in those spaces and some of those spaces that are in the book. And there were moments I, I wrote certain things the wrong way. I couldn't face up to it and be present. And an original draft had one particular chapter involving. The, the mother character, Frankie Bell, that I just couldn't even be inside. So I wrote it in past tense as almost like a letter that the kid's writing. And the brilliant Catherine Milne from HarperCollins, nice. just the one thing she said, she said, you haven't faced that chapter properly. Like, you need to just... Get back. Go back home again. And, you know, this coming home is such a great thing, a way of putting it, Chris, because it's exactly what I had to do, like, go home and be there again and be respectful of that, of the, the drama of it and sort of just remember it as, as you should and... Yeah, and that helps you leave home. Far out, goddammit. <laughs> leave home. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Congratulations on this extraordinary novel. Uh, it's certainly one of Reading's favourites. We are right behind you. I do think this is a, a wonderful, wonderful portrait of a decade, a decade plus in, a, in Queensland, in Brisbane. How, how have your work colleagues responded to this novel? Yeah, they're, they're kind of blown away. They're kind of... The funny thing about this, like... My work colleagues are just brilliant. They're so beautiful. But they're, they're, the characters in this book are inspired by people that even my work people would know. So it's yeah, like right. I've, I've been in there's, situations. There's, there's layers and layers. No, so many layers. That's what I mean. It's so layered, this thing. That's why it's so fraught with sort of drama, even when I talk about it. But, like, there, I've been in situations where I've been writing away on a story. I'm sort of a, you know, magazine feature writer. But then the court reporter comes back who I sit near, right, and he's writing about some character that I know from my past because he visited my house in the 1980s. And so it's just surreal. And so then he reads it and he knows it. He, he knows who I'm talking about or he knows, he can feel it. He just senses it, you know. And so it's just, it's been this extraordinary thing. But yeah, they, they've been so sweet, the colleagues. Oh, and wow. everyone's just like, man, just go for it. Because we're all, we all have so much journeys in us because we do see it every day. We go out there in Australia and we, that's our daily lives is going out and getting behind closed doors. We have a lot of stories. You've got a lot of secrets. A lot of secrets. You've got a lot. A lot of stuff you can yeah. draw from. And, and it's a really rich, rich world to sort of draw on out there, out there in the suburbs at least, you know. And, yeah, so, no, they've been wonderful. It's oh, I'm been really great. pleased. I'm really pleased when your family behind you, your friends are behind you, your colleagues are behind you, the publishing house are behind you. Oh, it's terrific. They've been amazing. They've been amazing. That's the thing that I, um, I didn't anticipate just how much once that that momentum builds from just takes one person and started with Catherine Milne then it went to Alice Wood then it went to you know James Kello and it yeah. just it just goes on and on and on and you just go wow and then to you Chris you know what I mean it just builds <laughs> seriously like every person on the road just sort of you go wow like it, yeah it's extraordinary because they're carrying my heart and soul like I swear to god it's 20 centimeters by 30 centimeters but it has my heart and soul in it so when you you know, kindly invite me to talk about it. It moves me deeply because it, it is. You're talking about my heart and soul right there. Oh, you know? it's such a pleasure. 
We're going to finish up, but uh, the last question that we always ask. Yeah. Always. Yeah, right. Yeah. Because we have to, because we are a bookshop. Yeah. We have to say to you, Trent, um, what are you reading now? I'm reading, I'm currently reading, okay, I'm reading John Purcell. John oh, Purcell. Oh, oh, the diary. Yeah, yeah, so so he's got a book called The Girl on the Page, um, yeah, so, um, and I'm reading, I'm reading Jewel, I'm reading Kate Wilde's book Waiting for Elijah, so I'm reading a bit of non-fiction and yeah. then a bit of sort of fiction. At the same time, I'm reading Larry McMurtry's amazing Western Lonesome Dove from way back, which I've been reading for a long time because it's like dead set, you could kill someone with that book, but... um. It's um, it's just the most beautiful western that I just go to as for my happy place. It's sort of a bunch of guys moving a bunch of cows up to Montana. You know, it's about as far from Brisbane suburbs as you can get. Sometimes that's good. You know, that's a nice place to be. That's good. Uh, to our listeners, Boys Follows Universe, Trent Dalton, an extraordinary book about growing up and reconciling. I guess re- reconciliation of, of a past. I guess. That's a beautiful way of putting it. It really is. It really is, yeah. Uh, congratulations. Thank you so much for joining us. Chris, thank you. That was beautiful. Really, really learned a lot about why I wrote that. <laughs> <laughs>